they raise it from the people back there who want to come and see you. They want to come and see you. They love you, pray for you, and go to the street, great things.
see us through a glass darkly, but I know we're in a different place. And uh, I speak enough, you're really going to get tired of the military metaphors. <laughs> Especially from a guy whose military career amounted to so great.
it's it's going to be a lot of work. All right. And been at a long point where we've been walking through the woods at night towards the objective. You do that, you're in a straight line. No one has any flashlights on them. The guy up front is following that compass, and the compass is set, and the needle glows in the dark, and he's following that glow-in-the-dark thing. And everybody else has these glow-in-the-dark doodads on the back of their hat, and you're watching that hat in front of you. Little kids, 100%. It's pretty simple. But we're out of that simplicity and we're into a whole lot of stuff going on at once. Okay? So, uh, one thing I want to see is I want to bring a practical diversity. Okay? Uh, one point, my goal was to somehow bring Methodist, Baptist, Catholics, and Pentecostals all into one thing. I'm giving up on that. <laughs> but within charismatic Christianity, I, I, I really want to do all I can to bring together the practical contributions of denominational Pentecostalism. Word of faith movement, the Toronto blessing, the prophetic movement, and third world Bush Pentecostal independent. All into one functioning body. And uh, that's a big enough job in itself. Can y'all hear me good? Can the recording hear me good? Okay. My accusers here be good. Um, where there's growth, where there's change, there's a mess. Okay? Where there's the Holy Spirit, two weeks later there's going to be strife of some kind. Okay? And as you grow, you're just going to have to work through that. Really good, we've got new people coming in here. Do all we can to insulate them and protect them from them. But that's all we can. <laughs> I grew up in Middle Tennessee. United Methodist family. I'll just, oh, let's do some church history. When was Azusa Street? 1907? Oh, six. There you go. Um, Azusa Street. Thought I outflowed the Holy Spirit. Thought the gift of speaking in tongues back into the world, particularly the United States. The way of it spread all across the United States. As this way spread, people were either for it or against it. Not a whole lot of in between. Okay. This wave was marked by a thing that almost always happened. People began speaking in tongues just like Acts chapter 2. That's seen it a long time. Although it had always been there in the church at least a little bit. Even through the dark ages. 
So as soon as this happens, everybody accuses those who speak in tongues. You heard all the accusations displayed at some of the And those who did this, those who adopted this new movement, those who did speak in tongues, five or ten years they kept a good attitude about it all. About 20 years later, they started getting defensive. So now they start coming up with these ideas that something's wrong with you if you don't. And they begin to start forming denominations around these defensive reactions to the doctrines they got. Somehow these denominations all settled in a place called Cleveland, Tennessee, which is about 70 miles away from where I grew up. I grew up United Methodist, and we knew that we knew Pentecostals as the accuser of the brethren. Because they were all better than us, and they did their hair different from us, and they couldn't meet with us. No joke, man, that's a mean bunch. So, I've come a long way from where I started out. Uh, I grew up being taught with great repetition a lot of defense mechanisms against the gifts of the Holy Spirit. My entire identity was in these defense mechanisms. And in this town, I'm probably typical. People who grew up Nevertheless, I had a hunger. I wanted what I wanted, didn't know how to explain it. And slowly, I began, as I left home and moved out, I began looking for more than what I had grown up with. He said, hunger would not quit. Okay? This, this particular little talk got started, was it three weeks ago or a month ago? A month ago, Trent blessed us with wisdom on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I could talk around this versus some other stuff. We have a Holy Council out there on the sidewalk. And I said, I'm going to do tongues because you and I agree. Tongues and baptism and the Holy Spirit is two different things. So, I'm, I'm going to, you're not going to do 1 Corinthians 14, argue a bunch, I'm sorry. I'm going to go through a list of experiences I've been through. And the sum total of it all right here is this. When you look at the sequence of the ways in which God has introduced me to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it all violates pretty much every doctrine on the subject I've ever heard. And all I can say is I live for the desert. It started in 1999 at a United Methodist Church in Concord, North Carolina. Hired a singles minister who came from 
one of the most famous school, what is now one of the most famous schools of supernatural ministry in the U.S. At that time, they had run about 150 people, I think. But she decided she was going to get all the singles baptized in the Holy Spirit, which in her mind meant they must speak in tongues. And I was, I was determined to proceed with this, even though I had a lot of, of misgivings about it. So there's me and about five others in one of those classrooms. You know, it's a big, big church building, one central meeting in a hallway, that's a circle, and bunch of other We're down on our knees. I used to roll the chairs that served as the altar. And um, she brought a guy with her who's, who's done this a lot, leading me to the tongues. He says, well, I'll just start praying, start singing out loud, do whatever you want. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to put the gift in you. And I, I'm down here. And I hear the first person start speaking in tongues out loud. Okay. I hear the second person. I'm number three. You know, okay. Start speaking in tongues. That's cool. I feel the hand upon my head. I remember this word for word, okay? Even if it was 1999. I feel the hand upon my head. And the guy says, Wow, never mind. And then I hear this guy <laughs> speaking in tongues. <laughs> Looking back on it, that was very flattering. He didn't clarify nothing. <laughs> okay? It needs any of the tension between me and that singles pastor either. 2001, I find myself in Nairobi, Kenya, getting ready to go on a mission trip up into a place called Terracana. And we're at a big old church meeting. And I think we like just got on. Off the airplane, take a shot, let's go to Okay, yeah. And um, one of our team even had to preach. You know, been up for 35 hours. Karibu can. Well, and of course, being a special guest, you're down in the front row. And it's, this is a pretty nice building, okay? This is not a grass hut. This is. Like the concrete floor is slick finished. Very good masonry work. And you know, it's my first introduction to hearing people speak with interpreters and my first introduction to Kenyan music. A lady gets up and I should know her name. I've been to her house. But she sings this song. The power is moving again. The power is moving again. The power is moving. The power is moving again. Okay, that's the first verse, and that's also like 75th verse. It went 20 minutes. <laughs> and about, about the time she starts the second verse, I've been overdubbed. 
scream and just start sobbing. And I cry so hard, it's like I have stomach pains from heaving. And I don't know how long it was, but when I was through crying, there was a lake of tears on that smooth concrete floor, like three feet across. And I was just like, at least nobody's asking why I thanks for that. <laughs> have a clue what the guy spoke on, but just kind of in a daze from here on out. Never did have an explanation for that until the summer of 2015, 16, 14 years later, Sue and I went to the Voice of the Apostles in Nashville. Dr. Randy Clark, somewhere through the week, he was speaking. He just casually mentioned that of all the different manifestations of baptism of the Holy Spirit that his team has seen in every different country they've been to, uncontrollable sobbing is the most common one. And I was like, wouldn't mind if I haven't heard that talk at some point. <laughs> We're on from there. Went up into the semi-arid region of Shekhan. To Kenyans, it's semi-arid. To Americans, it's like Mars or something. It's definitely desert. Um, so all kinds of stuff happened. Checking out once or twice on things that I knew God wanted me to do. But I was afraid to do it. Led some people to the Lord, stomping around with an interpreter. Every night there would be a crusade. And this didn't come as a surprise. They prepared us for this. They told us what would happen. Crusade, there's a, a big flatbed truck which becomes the stage after you offload all the speakers and generators and stuff. The speakers have to be sold out. You can't hear the generator room. Probably takes more electricity because generators have to run harder. Only an engineer would think like that. But what you do, it goes through a rhythm. There's singing, everybody sings. Then there's preaching. Then there's more singing. Then there's more preaching. Then after the second and third round of preaching, there's the altar call. Now you got you got different groups of people here. Okay, you got the indigenous Turkanas who are, you know, in the crowd. You've got local Turkana Christians and pastors who are interpreting for us. Then you've got Kenyans from Nairobi, which is a suit. This, this team has like 75 people. We've got the group picture. Okay, there's like 20 Kenyans from Nairobi. Then you've got the missionary and his American friends. Some of, some of the messages are actually spoken three times. Spoken in English, translated to Swahili, then translated to Turkana. But after the last sermon, there's going to be an altar call for salvation. Local pastors handle that because they're going to lead those people into their churches. And they go off to one side, 
Then the Americans come up and there's the general purpose on it. And basically two things happen the general purpose of the call. One's healing and one's exorcism. And they, they told me all this would happen. So it, it, it came as a shock still after being told. I imagine, I can only imagine what kind of shock it would be if they had not prepared me for it. But basically, we got it back to the, the trailer. And there's somewhere between five and ten of us down here. And about two thousand of people. And you're down on your knee and, and you can just tell by the tone of voice that a guy's praying something. And when he's done praying, you're definitely praying. You look up and there's like this tidal wave of human bodies coming at you. And now there's no occurrence. They come up and they stand there in front of you. Lord, you know what this lady needs, I know. Her face goes into a grimace. Eyeballs roll back, so all you can see is the whites of her eyes. She falls before and starts Starts twitching around every which way like a fish out of water. And that face is just right there. And I'm like, so a man's always cautious. In any culture, laying hands on them, uh, especially when she ain't alone. Two fingers on the Lord will be the peace. She just goes up to the position of laying. Next one, the next, the next, like for now. It was still dark when we put it, that's all I know. And that was pretty much my first introduction to whatever baptism of the Holy Spirit means. Okay? What year was that? 2001? 2005, I'm a student next door over here. And they're telling us about a thing called the Alpha Course. British Anglican dudes developed it. And it's gone all around the world. And those two guys. There's an older and a young one. I remember the oldest named Sandy Miller. They're, they're actually here going to teach us how to do it. And it's, it's a whole weekend in the seminary gym. So I'm like, this is better than doing homework. I'm in there. They, they go through the however many 12 week thing it is, one meeting a week. They go through the outline. Okay, last week it was Holy Spirit weekend. We've only got about 30 minutes to summarize this. Everybody stand up, start singing. Okay, we're singing. British dude playing guitar. And he says, All right, now we're going to take the words down off the screen. He's going to play a tune you've never heard before. Just keep singing. Singing in the Spirit. All of it. We're getting pretty doctrinal right now. And he said, don't worry, you can do this. <laughs> so we do. A few minutes of that, stop the music. And the song without words keeps going. Five or ten minutes, then we just got it. Okay, now you, now you have all this spoken in time.
That's to look back on it. To say that I am an independent Bush Pentecostal by denominational affiliation. I grew up as a Methodist. And the first guy who let me to speak in tongues was an Anglican Festus. <laughs> so, after that, there's, like, there's this euphoria after a few days. Never did do it again. After the euphoria, and then you start getting this wondering, was that real? Was it just me? All, all those doubts that are going to come. Okay, when we're teaching them, those doubts are going to come. All right, don't beat them over the head for it. You're just being religious. Don't do that. Okay, prepare them to face those doubts. But maybe two weeks later, I'm driving back to Tennessee, going down to US 27 towards Somerset. That's my path. It's 8 or 9 o'clock at night, it's dark. Ambulance passes me going the other way with the lights on. Every time that, every time my ambulance passes me, I pray, Lord, this earth be grateful. And I don't pray out loud. This time I start to pray that in my head, and this voice comes up out of And I would have gagged and choked. If I had tried to stop it from rising up. And I knew that was not me. So there, there's this assurance now that God is moving through me and knows it wasn't just me thinking. So I was unable to stop that. And I've learned that from time to time, this goes on. This is a gift that comes to you in a box, and you've got to unwrap the box, and you've got to practice with it, and you've got to work it. doesn't come from you, but you are the one who uses it. And as a side note, I started out very, very dark. Okay? Now, it would have you. Now it's like these really pretty syllables and everything. Um, I'm going to spend about 12 seconds on this. And I move on, okay? After all these things, in 2008, I was at a meeting with a relatively famous, relatively powerful preacher who got my face and told me I did not have the Holy Spirit. Okay, move on. That's, that's going to happen to you, all right? In this time period, I'm still making Kenya trips, maybe once every two, two years. And I start going to something called the School of Power and Love, taught by black books. Has an emphasis on healing, okay? Come to your prophecy. 2011, I got married, is that right? Okay, good. <laughs> now, again, what I've been exposed to so far is like prophetic movement, vineyard, Bethel kind of charismatic teaching. Soon is more word of faith, okay? We all like to say we're non denomination. That's what you're supposed to say. <laughs> there are distinct separate movements, all right? Just, yeah. Word of faith is different stuff. Word of faith has more of an emphasis on tongues as a, as a, as a daily discipline, okay? 2015, we go to the voice of the apostles in Nashville. That was life changing, okay? That's the strongest move of the Holy Spirit Sue has encountered in the United States. 
that year, the summer of 2015. One of the preachers there was a guy named Ted Olbrecht, O-H-L-B-R-E-C-H-T. Look, it's going to run a lot, man. I'm just telling stories, okay? <laughs> Ted Olbrecht, you've probably never heard of him. But he's in, it's either Cambodia, Laos, or Thailand. They're all three kind of run together for me. If you're from there, they're going to run together. They're separate countries. But he's been there 20 or 30 years. It's been a completely Buddhist country for like a thousand years. And now, close to 30% of the population is Christian. And every last one of them is in his movement. Okay, total nation changer, like Wesley, okay? A school they're going to teach you about how John Wesley changed the nation. we got several people alive today that have already changed the nation and they're still going. All right? And Ted Olbrecht is the most unassuming man. Originally, he's a, a farmer from South Illinois. Got sent to Southeast Asia during the Vietnam War as an agricultural volunteer. Wound up working for Archer Daniels Midland Zone, big worldwide ag corporation. But in all that, he learned the language and stuff and got really good. And uh, he talked about, he told his life story, he told how those changes took place told how they made the inroads in the country they did. And he said something, he said, once you start gathering momentum, the devil tries different things against you. And the devil comes against you with different, stronger stuff. And the main strategy we found to, de to defeat the mechanisms the devil comes at us with, speaking in tongues. We gather together every morning, do it together corporately for about an hour every morning. And that's how we prevent the diseases and the assassins and the bureaucrats and everything else that comes against you. So I've gotten the point like the original attitude on tongues is like I'm open to it if it's real. And now it's like, this is a daily discipline, a build on the ground. Sue and I get together sometimes, especially on long road trips. Sue tells me a story of one time when she was gone to a tribe other than hers, Maasai. I've got this wrong, I'm fixing to find out. But she stood up and spoke to them in their language. An entire sermon, not having a clue what she was saying. If I'm wrong, it's my fault, not hers. We have been driving down the road, and I heard her suddenly start speaking in what I recognized as a Bantu language. The continent of Africa has three families of tribes Bantus, Nihilites, and Kishites. Thousands of tribes, but every one of them falls into one of those three categories. And I knew what she was saying was Bantu. But it was not her tribal language. 
That went on about five minutes. I, of course, just kept quiet and listened. Again, somewhere along the way, my tongues went from being this garden sound to becoming much more clear and often musical, sometimes bust out in the latching. And this is a little bit more transparent than I usually am. Sometimes when I start speaking in tongues, it initiates a self-exorcism. I cough something out. Kind of inconvenient when you're driving. But I've lived through it every time. Okay? And most of the time I know what it is. Not that I'm interpreting the tongue, but it just causes me to realize if something bad came out and I look back at where my mind has been in the last eight hours. And what door I opened. And I'm glad I didn't wait three weeks before I did this. At that point, I'm glad I do this thing. Speaking of the word of faith, I want to recommend two teachers to you, okay? Andrew Womack and Kevin Zada. Z A D A I. They both got thousands of YouTubes. Basic word of faith teaching is, uh, has a lot to do with anatomy. You've got three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Then that soul has three parts, mind, will, and emotions. And what you hear about Andrew and Kevin is that at the moment of salvation, your spirit is made completely perfect. Soul, on the other hand, not so much. Speaking in tongues is one of the processes by which the Spirit teaches the soul and perfects it over time. As the Apostle Paul says, this is for our own edification. And one thing that strikes me as very clever is the way if you take this word of faith and not anything, saying your spirit is made perfect instantly, but the soul still needs, what's that term, sanctification, Look at how that disarms the once saved dog and so in this argument. That's an argument that needs to be disarmed. Where was it? It is for your own edification. Okay? Here, here I'm going to get too fisted for a second. Tongues is not evidence to prove that you're good enough to join somebody else's group. Okay? You want evidence? John chapter 3, the Spirit blows wherever it will. Isaiah chapter 55, his ways are higher than our ways. You want to be able to know if someone else has the Holy Spirit? He calls on the deep. You need evidence, maybe you need God. That's as mean as I'm going to get. My, my life experience has definitely been that tongues is not a prerequisite for other gifts to operate. But I'll tell you this much, it's very convenient in that fashion. Okay? Of all the spiritual gifts, tongues is the most automatic and the most foolproof. Okay? It's the easiest thing to introduce new believers to 
And after all the arguments are over, there's still this, why not? Start with this. It requires no interpretation. It doesn't take time to manifest like healing. Very personal, very inner. Really, very peaceful. And it can assist you to grow in so many other ways. It brings to light so many inner issues and it starts a lot of constructive processes to happen. So when, when these denominations want to make it an absolute requirement, yeah, they're wrong. You don't, you don't, you don't turn what God does into a technology like that. At the same time, it's a real good idea. It's a real good practice. It's a real good starting point for a lot of things. At heart, I'm a unity guy. One thing unity guys cannot stand to be here is elitism. Okay? I've encountered a lot of elitism with tongues, encountered a lot of elitism with prophecy. And that slowed me down. That made it take years of my life to fully embrace both. I still do. Okay? I push through. The most important thing I can say about this subject is that you are going to encounter people who try to tell you the Holy Spirit no longer does Holy Spirit stuff. And you're going to encounter people who try to tell you you can't have the Holy Spirit unless you get it from me. It's going to happen. Push through. Push through. There has to be desire. And as we teach, everything we do plants desire. Okay? I want. I wanted to assume most everybody in this room already has at some point in their life spoken in tongues. I know. We don't pursue it as a church-wide discipline. Very few churches gather together just to speak in tongues. And again, that's not the main Sunday service. That's a, that's a morning time thing. Morning glory. I want us to be... We've gone in one straight direction. Prophecy. For a long time. Prophecy. Intimacy, divine romance. It's time to branch out and get a whole lot of tools in our hands. Dealing with a wide bunch of people that got a lot of different things to do. I want to see a full, complete church rise up and go on. Okay? A very, very, very effective institution. God has shown you visions of this training school. Everybody always says we're head and heart go hand in hand. We're academic and we're charismatic. If you have to say it, then you're not. If you were, everybody would know. If you have to say it, it's still a door. It, it's something somewhere is an add-on later on. One came first, and then you tried to add the other. We have a chance to start true with both together at the same time. Okay? 
want to, I want to, I want to end in an exercise. Be doers of the word, not just hearers only. I want us to all spend some time speaking in tongues, like we spent some time shouting, starting to say holler. No, the correct theological term is shouting. And just do this for the fun of it. It doesn't mean you're good enough to be one of us. Tim, can we, Tim, can we do some background music? And I'm going to let you decide how long this runs, okay? I'll say to everyone who speaks in tongues, go ahead and stand as the music starts, start speaking. Everyone who doesn't speak in tongues, Go ahead and stand as the music starts. <laughs> <laughs>